यू आर लिस्निंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट Hello and welcome to Mint Dialogues, a weekly podcast where we focus on the big questions in personal finance and investing. My name is Neil Borate and I head the personal finance team at Mint. I will be your host for this podcast. The podcast is a Mint production and is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. As Indian markets trade close to their all-time highs, a key question that's playing in people's minds is whether it is time to be greedy or whether it's time to be fearful. To discuss this question, we have a panel of experts joining us today. We have Alok Jain, founder Weekend Investing, Deepak Shanoi, founder Capital Mind, Keetan Shah, co-founder and CEO SRE Wealth, and Arun Kumar. who heads research at funds india first we have deepak shanoi founder capital mind thanks for inviting me over i uh, i think you know in general um, the way the markets are it's always a little scary but uh, i personally you know i i plan my financials based on um, four factors what i need for my emergency is always being like illiquid funds you know, i don't care about the return i get over there and The rest of it is largely planned according to uh, uh, how long and how far away my uh, longer-term goals are, and most of them are really far. Maybe some kids' education goals or uh, higher education goals are relatively closer. So I am probably about eighty-two percent equity right now, uh, which is fine. I'll change, uh, you know, as time goes by. I realize that markets like this you don't miss. So I, I think I've tweeted a bit about this in the recent past. The, you know in 2007 august markets followed about three continuous big years massive years i'm talking about 2005 2006 and the first half of 2007 were 36% 40% and about 30% in the middle of uh, 2007 uh they proceeded to further go up another 45% before they they turn around so it's not possible to say oh we've gone up you know so much and therefore we'll stop right here and this is where we'll end uh even at that time i remember a lot of people uh were very confused and they were saying this is market cannot go any further from here it did go from 4000 nifty went to 6000 nifty uh in i think 3 or 4 months so it you know when markets become ridiculous you can't ascribe a lot of uh, Uh, rationality to them, and the best way to play the markets and play such times is not to run away. I think, at least in my opinion, uh, it's not to run away. It's to uh, uh, you know participate with the asset allocation you have, and you know have uh, uh, the ability to say, listen, if the markets retreat by ten, fifteen percent, whatever number you know kind of gets to a point where it's so scary, um, uh, you will then rebalance yourself downward. And then wait till the markets uh, find a balance. And uh, you know we haven't had a ten percent correction since I think last May. Uh, the last uh, April was very big. Uh, you can imagine that it depends on depending on how crazy the system was last year. We still had a I think a twelve or a fourteen percent year last year on the Nifty itself. 
So somebody who literally slept in December 19 and woke up in December 20 would be like, what's the fuss all about? So it's sometimes things can change very rapidly and you know, I think times will change even more rapidly. If markets were to fall 30%, they'll probably correct back up uh, quite significantly and quite fast as well. So in that context, my I'm still heavy on equity. I think I'll change my equities if only if the markets were to correct 10-15%, but otherwise I'm still in. Uh, Arun, could you uh, answer the same question from a mutual fund investor's point of view? Uh, you know, how are fund managers thinking about this? And MF investors are generally um, not HNIs. They have um, a, a more, they need a simpler uh, pass towards wealth creation. So, what, how do you answer it from an MF investor's point of view? Uh, hello, Arun, uh, what is your audible? Uh, uh, am I audible, Arun, now? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, so we are more of uh, the I don't know type of investors where we don't try to uh, get into uh, predictions uh, in terms of where the markets will move over the next six months. And yeah, because from our experience, we've also seen over the, uh, especially what happened in US over the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of big guys getting uh, uh, wrong. So, so first fundamental principle that we have is that it's very, very difficult to uh, predict precisely saying when will a market crash happen. So overall, uh, uh, we start with the basic underweight position, which is nothing but uh, technically you all call it as asset allocation, which fundamentally means that you don't be 100% equity. You might be 70 or 50 or 30, depending on whoever is our uh, different set of clients. So for, for me personally, it would be somewhere close to around uh, uh, 75%. But again, uh, that being said, only only uh, when we find that uh, the conditions are becoming very extreme, we may want to look at some bit of underweight and that would also be uh, calibrated to maybe around 10-20% of portfolio. Now, how do we do that? Uh, we look at uh, three uh, angles in terms of how we decide on that. So, first one would be valuations. Obviously, any valuation indicator that you uh, see right now would, would, would be signaling a, a very, very high value. Yeah? So, that's signaling red for us. The second indicator that we look at is uh, fundamentally on the earnings front. All of us know that we are starting at a very, very low base and uh, globally also uh, a lot of things are falling in place in terms of the global recovery, the interest rate story. So almost all things are falling in place after a long time. So it looks like the next two, three years at least we might be looking at an above average earnings growth scenario. So that signal for us is uh, green. So the third signal we look at is sentiments where we ideally look at FII flows, DII flows. We get really scared when both FIAs are positive, DIAs are positive, and the IPO numbers are going crazy. Right now, FIAs are positive, like they're significantly high in the last 12 months. So that would be a negative for us, but DIAs are still just about entering. So in fact, they, they moved out for almost eight months and they're just about getting back in the last three months. So that's like a, that's like a mixed indicator for us. So unless and until these three signals become red for us, we are not out of the market. And especially if you look at the last three year, five year return, more or less around the 13, 14, 15% return. Nothing like the 40% returns that you saw in 2000. So overall, uh, unless and until these uh, three signals hit red for us, uh, that is what we call as extreme. Otherwise, we are happy to uh, stick with uh, whatever is our asset allocation. And worst case, if there is a fall of uh, more than 20%, we have something called the crisis plan, which is like, what do we do at 20% fall? What do we do at 30% fall and what do we, we, we kind of preload the decisions so that it's a lot easier for us to get back. We've worked out uh, beautifully well over the last year. 
and again we'll continue to uh, do that and that's the whole reason why we have the uh, remaining portion in it so that's that's the very simple approach that uh, we tend to follow there is a dichotomy because they were they were never meant to be together everybody assumes that in the market should reflect the economy there is actually nothing in any uh, practical market or mechanism that says the two are going to be linked uh one on one one year forward two year forward even five year forward pieces it makes no there is no correlation i've checked every single market uh, there are times when they correlate but that's accidental there are times when they be uh, link from each other i'll give an example uh, alan greenspan one of the most uh, famous fed chairman um uh, said in 1996 december that the us market was possibly irrationally exuberant the market continued to go up further it corrected 10% after that only one and a half years later and even at its lowest point after that i think 10 or more than 10% but the lowest point after this correction was still 5 or 6% higher than when alan greenspan had made his famous prediction so technically if you had bought at the time alan greenspan said the market was overvalued for whatever reason he didn't actually say it was overvalued he just said it's irrationally exuberant um the markets could have given you a 30% return and fallen down for 20 or 10% return in two years including dividends no this is the kind of thing that even a fed chairman cannot predict uh, i don't think anyone should believe in any rational fashion that markets are correlated strongly to growth or economic reality and economic reality is stark undoubtedly we will have a lot of trouble going forward uh, in the economy there are a lot of defaults from the retail and sme sector moving ahead of us there is uh, there are issues that rbi has brought out yesterday in its financial stability report that said and goodness our banks raised some capital last year because things going ahead will be very very rough which is possibly true we'll get to know in a quarter or two from now on i still think that the markets are evolving because of liquidity not because of fundamentals people are people like you and me we are living at home there is hardly anything else to spend on there's a glut of savings all the fixed deposits in all banks are at current lows uh, the kind of volumes number of new investors that have come into the market in the last one year is unprecedented and i have i'm talking about whatever history i have of the nse and uh, um uh, in the last 10 or 15 years which i have seen i have never seen this many new people come into the market and i think a lot of it has got to do with a time and b money and simply um, the fact is you have the time you don't have uh, any other options to deploy uh, money or even spend it uh, and and really uh, that is is possibly causing a massive move in the market so we should confuse it with the fundamentals what i'm saying and these uh, this dichotomy can continue for a long time and it will continue in the reverse direction as well remember in 2008 india's economy and gdp was actually doing fairly well uh, in comparison with most of the west we didn't have recession we had i think our growth slowed to 5% for one year and then came back up for that to see a 60% fall in the market sounds astoundingly crazy but you know the markets went up also like crazy before that and then the markets rebounded 75% in 2009 so uh, uh markets will not reflect reality for a long time markets did not reflect that in the last 8 or 9 years the earnings growth of the nifty as a whole and perhaps a lot of companies in the nifty as well have not been about 10 or 11% 
you've got companies who grow at 10-12% getting valued at price to earning ratios of 80 times. This is not reality. This is, I mean, this is not like, you know, economic reality. You can't have 80 times, uh, uh, this is your, your discounted cash flow calculations will just never work out. You will have to really, you know, be a master of Excel to kind of uh, make an imaginary scenario where this actually works. So it's, uh, it's really, you know, um, not linked with fundamentals. You, it's a more liquidity driven market. You have to treat it like that. So don't think that, oh, the economy is bad, so let me get out of the markets. Uh, that doesn't work. Uh, in such circumstances, it definitely doesn't work. It's better look at liquidity when money from foreign investors and from domestic investors starts leaving the market. And you might find that when the economy is in the lockdown, starts going away, people lose time and people have other avenues to deploy their money. And that much more money is not going to come back into the stock markets every month. And the richest people in India are by and large not affected so badly in terms of jobs. So um, they might actually not have enough discretionary income because they'll spend it on other things. They may not have the time because they'll have to start going back to office. And that's when you might see some kind of a correction, contrary to the feeling that, yes, the economy is starting to recover and the markets will not. So don't. Uh, I think my feeling is don't confuse the two. Um, the markets are the markets and the economy is the economy and maybe in 10 years the, the twain shall meet but right now they will not. Uh, Deepak, I have a follow-up question to you for, for you uh, but before that uh, I just wanted to quickly, uh, you know, I took the liberty to invite uh, uh, Mr. Srinivas Jain um, uh, who is the uh, executive director of um, SBI Mutual Fund. Uh, Mr. Jain, thank you for accepting our invitation and coming up. Um, would you like to make a quick opening remark on the theme of the room? Hey, thank you. <laughs> no, actually I was here to listen and I think some fantastic conversation that's happening around the markets and uh, and being from the other side of managing money, we have a lot of restrictions on what I can talk about, what I can't. But I'll try and pitch in wherever I can. But this is really fantastic and it's always great to hear Deepak with uh, lots and lots of anecdotal data. So it's fantastic to be here. Great, welcome. And, and please feel free to pitch in anytime, uh, uh, anytime you wish to. Uh, Deepak, a very well made point about, uh, you know, how the underlying economy and the markets are not necessarily, uh, you know, always uh, very, very closely linked. Um, you know, I have a question based on a story that we recently ran. So, you know, I understand the broader economy and the markets. Sure, there can be some amount of decoupling or maybe even a large amount of decoupling. But uh, what about company earnings themselves, you know? I mean, although that's a subset of the uh, performance of the economy. Um, you know, we ran a chart recently, which was from a Mobila Loswal uh, report, which said that, uh, you know, in the last quarter of uh, FY21, we saw a reversal uh, in a trend that was uh, that held for the previous three quarters, which was that the, the share of companies that reported an earnings upgrade um, far exceeded uh, those that reported an earnings downgrade. Okay. Uh, that trend held for uh, the first three quarters of FY21 uh, and it dramatically reversed in um, in the last quarter. Okay, uh, the related, uh, you know, uh, you know, not, ex I mean, the other point that I always wonder about the, um, the earnings base uh, upon which the stock market stands is the uh, is the how skewed the profitability share is, right? I mean, uh, twenty companies 
uh, account for some 70% of the overall uh, shares, uh, oh, sorry, overall share of profits uh, in India, right? So is there not just a linkage with the overall economy, is there also not much of a linkage with the quality of earnings and uh, how broad-based uh, profitability is? Uh, thanks, Rajivan. Firstly, thanks, Rene. I mean, it's awesome to see you here. You know, obviously, we've seen uh, uh, cycles as well, so I would love to hear, you know, your thoughts on this as well. But uh, let me give you my, you know, my thoughts on this two things. Firstly, I think the first point was about, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, you said the broad basing of profits, and what was the second one? Sorry. The other one was how, uh, you know, when, when companies report uh, their results, uh, for the first three quarters of FY21, the share of companies that reported an earnings upgrade far exceeded those that reported an earnings downgrade. But that reversed in, um, in, in, the, in the quarter four of FY21, where the, uh, yeah, 66% of the companies actually reported an earnings downgrade with the reporting of well, okay. Uh, so I am assuming when you say downgrade, you might mean versus estimates, right? Or I'm not sure if that's the case or versus last year. Uh, uh, I, well, if you take it, I think I got the question. So let me just uh, try to answer that in two ways. One is, of course, if it's versus estimates, largely if we, you know, earnings don't miss estimates, the estimates miss performance. So, if it was based on estimates, then you know it's off. But let's assume that what you said was actually more about they didn't make as, many pro as much profit as perhaps they would, they themselves expected them to themselves to do. There are multiple factors, I think. What's happening now is um, uh, the last year has been very peculiar. So, many of the companies have made super normal profits largely because their ad spends and their marketing spends, their travel spends have become zero. Look at an IT company, for instance which had to typically spend, say, 10 to 14% of its revenues on uh, travel. Maybe not 10 to 14, but I'm just giving an example, say 10% of its revenues on travel-related expenses. Um, today, uh, a lot of those expenses have come down considerably because you won't travel, you can't travel if you want to. So, uh, everything happens on Zoom and remote and the, the number of people you would have otherwise positioned in the US inside a client would have, has now come to maybe half. Uh, uh, so, because of that, you had a relatively higher margin, and that margin reduced. Secondly, last year nobody was asking for salary upgrades because you know jobs weren't there, and there was a lot more uh, people were working out of homes. So their expenses weren't much, so you know you didn't have to pay salary increases. So suddenly this year, salary increases visibility is getting bigger and bigger. There is also a third or fourth aspect. So what's happened is in general, the economy when it goes through a battering like this, the impact is much higher on smaller companies. When I say smaller companies, usually private, tiny, less than uh, one crore or less than 50 lakhs of capital line, you know, of, of, of fixed assets uh, or, or assets in general or investment. So these, these are the companies, you know, that you don't hear about in the public markets. The saloons, the uh, barber shops, the, the small uh, clothes uh, shops and all of that. These are the ones that are disproportionately impacted. Whereas uh, the ones like uh, a PVR, which is a mall, they, uh, nobody's going there, but still PVR stock is flying because it has access to capital. It has the ability to withstand uh, deep fall because it has access to capital. The biggest companies in India tend to have uh, uh, some access to capital and then, you know, 
when uh, things start coming back to life, you suddenly see, uh, or when 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 uh, the earnings upgrades were happening in a way, these companies were seeing that they are going to benefit from all this small competition lag. So in a way, it's that unorganized smaller player that does not have access to capital that that uh, whose death causes the larger companies to get us significantly higher bump. And uh, over time, when the economy starts to come back, that what happened in the Jan to March quarter of this year. You saw that the uh, smaller companies started to slowly come back and have like India is extremely resilient. So you know we lived through a demonetization, we lived through you know crazy amounts of stuff. So when you when the economy returns to normal, things will go back. This is this does not require government support because we've never had government support for for small industry. We give all our support to farmers. That's a different. Aspect I have, I will, I have voiced my opinion on that too much, but uh, I will say that you know India will come, the smaller guy will come back, and they will come and compete, and that will cause earnings, relative earnings to drop. So you have increased expenses in terms of marketing, you have increased salary costs because of return of salary or wage increases. You have potential SME competition coming back in. Um, later this year, perhaps, and so that's one of the reasons why. And you know, I think in general, uh, we while we had a super normal year in terms of a pandemic, um, we've also had some kind of a super normal profit associated with some of the companies, some of whom happen to be in the largest in the index: pharma companies, IT companies. Um, on the contrary, you see profit declines in auto companies. Who haven't been able to sell automobiles because they sell uh, uh, the biggest of them sell to the the man on the street, the, the small uh, uh, entrepreneur, and the small uh, businessman, and small worker. So they their sales have come down tremendously. They're disproportionately impacted, but they're a smaller part of the index. So I think overall this can be explained in this in this manner however you know i think numbers will have to talk for themselves india is relatively very very small i think the markets here are huge from a, a scope scale and scope perspective and our companies are relatively small in the overall uh, sequence of things if you see relative economies of china or uh, the us we are really really tiny so there's a huge amount of scope to grow and i believe um, some of the companies today, whatever they value that, they value at 10x that in five or 10 years, simply because there's so much scale. But that doesn't mean that you know uh, they won't have a temporary impact on their uh, revenues or profits in the next six or 12 months. The I think the second part was about broad basing of profits. So no matter when you look at it, the top 20 companies, 20% of companies, will probably. Uh, have 80% of the profits, no matter how you look at it. So, whether um, uh, you look at it 20 years ago, and you look at it 10 years ago, and you look at it now, there will always be that dichotomy. The most is that a common, uh, is that an India phenomenon, or is that common in uh, the world? Yeah, I mean, really, you know, at, at some point in India, I think private companies had more profit than some of the public companies. Uh, at one point in time, but uh, right now it's in, it's all in the public companies. I think mostly in the public companies and uh, 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 in the banks. Uh, in about twenty years ago, it wasn't the banks that were the more profitable. They were the oil companies uh, that were more profitable, and a lot of PSUs that were phenomenally profitable, and so on. So uh, there was 
there was that dichotomy as well. So, but I think no matter where you go, you will always have this 20% of companies owning most of the profit. The, I think the point is about how much more broad-based the rest of India is. I'll give you an example of how crazy it is. The top three cities, I think the top five, sorry, top five cities are responsible for nearly uh, 40 to 50% of all of India's deposits. Just the top five cities. Um, maybe even more, 50 or 60%. Um, and uh, in fact, if you, if you start going down the wire from there, uh, only about the next 13 cities uh, will be responsible for roughly 10% of India's uh, deposit. So it's a top-heavy market no matter where, how you look at it. So the money is concentrated in some of the large cities. India is largely uh, Bangalore, Delhi, Bombay. That is how it is from an economic perspective. Unless you broad-base that uh, at some level or even if it's not broad-based, at least bring a, lot, bring a lot of the smaller ones, smaller towns up. Um, I don't think broad-basing of profits will also happen. The US, Walmart actually moved to a small town. Uh, uh, I think it was Bentonville in Arkansas. And that's because the founders were from there. They moved there because they want to help the local economy. Uh, in that sense. India has had some of it. So, for instance, I think Jamnagar is where... The, uh, Reliance is set up to be a Reliance is there, but its headquarters is in Bombay. And, uh, we don't have that much of large companies moving out and, and trying to benefit low, smaller economies. Um, so I don't think again that uh, some of the new, new age ventures will not come out. I hope Zoho at some point lists, then we can say that you know we have more broad basing of these profits. But um, no, I don't think broad-based will, will, will happen in any meaningful way in the next 10 years. There will be a different set of companies that form the first 20%, but those 20% will still own 80% of the profits. Got it. Thanks, Deepak. Neil, over to you again. So, I'd just like to refine that question a little bit. Um, in terms of, you know, sectors like IT and pharma might not be affected by the hit to the informal sector, to the macro economy. But are there sectors like consumption which are going to face the brunt and should therefore people be allocating less to them? Um, Arun, how are fund managers positioned in, in that sense? So again, uh, broadly if you really look at uh, how the fund space is positioned, there are these relatively older fund managers who have probably been very successful uh, in the 2003 to 2010-11-12 uh, kind of an era. And most of them are uh, positioned towards the cyclically heavy sector. So they have been underweight consumption for a very long time. So if you look at uh, the legendary fund managers like Prashant Jain, Narain, uh, Anubha. So most of the fund managers whom you would have uh, seen in the top of magazine covers in 2011, 12, 13, most of them uh, uh, have done extremely bad in the last uh, 3, 4, 5 years. Obviously because uh, consumption as a cycle has, uh, has played out really well. And on top of it, all the, uh, the quality-oriented stocks, which according to them were uh, continue to uh, uh, perform well. So that was an underweight position, which most you can see the pattern across all the, uh, be it Franklin Templeton, any any uh, old uh, fund house that you can see, you can see that perform. But uh, there are there are these other uh, AMCs like Axis, Can uh, Robeco, which have done extremely well in the last three, four, five years. They have a, a slightly heavier tilt, and you will find that within fund houses also there are few uh, funds which are 
position towards the very high quality names where they have done well. But so th- there is broadly been this dichotomy along also within the uh, the fund management space. And right now in the last six months, probably starting October November, we are we are uh, finding the, the shift again happening. Now will this continue or not? We'll have to wait and watch. So, but but we are finding that all the uh, uh, fund managers who had position for uh, uh, cyclicals and who were probably so a classic case would be a, an old fund called Franklin India Blue Chip. It was underperforming for almost close to uh, seven eight years. In the last one year, it's 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 been the the number one uh, fund within the large cap space. So you are finding some sharp reversals for uh, fund managers who had position for the uh, cyclical uh, overall in terms of how we, we are approaching. We probably have an approach where we don't try to take a call in terms of which is which style will do well. So broadly, we try to diversify across uh, these different styles and maybe do some minor tilts if required. But broadly, the way we approach it is that we internally call it the, the five-finger strategy because otherwise, what we have really noticed is that usually you look at the past performance and you you lap on to a particular style and all your three, four, five funds become uh, quality oriented. And when you underperform. You also dramatically underperform. Then the, the the experience also becomes really bad. So for somebody who's probably holding an access fund in the last one year, they might be disappointed. But if you look at the last uh, three year or four five year performance, it will still continue to be good. So overall, what we have realized is over a cycle, all these uh, styles play out. But the problem is, once you only look at the past performance as an indicator, you end up uh, overexposing yourself to a particular style, and when it underperforms, you come out of it. You again latch on to the next style. By the time you are into it, you again under. So, so what we do is five different styles, which is quality on one end. Which there's no, it's not defined per se, but broadly we can get a sense in terms of how the portfolios are there. So one would be quality. The second one would be the contrarian or the value style. The third one would be a Broadly, a mix of both, which is predominantly what most Indian fund managers uh, are at, which they, which which will probably uh, be a blend or or what is called as GAR. Then the fourth would be uh, uh, towards the mid and small, and the fifth is a global bucket. So overall, we found that we blend all these five together. Net net, the client experience is also uh, very very decent. So right now we are we are contemplating saying that should we. Uh, slowly uh, uh, reduce the quality exposure and probably increase our tilt towards uh, value or uh, uh, the contrary in bucket. So that's something that we are uh, contemplating. But that's that's how broadly the uh, the Indian uh, fund management space is. Oh, and most of the fund houses have uh, also within the same basket they have both uh, quality and they they they've also realized that uh, it's always better to have all these styles in their uh, stable. So that, like, at all points in time, there's something or the other uh, doing well. But yeah, but there are specialist fund houses as well. So that's how it's, it's kind of positioned. There. Sure. Um, another related question is uh, when we say that Indian market is overvalued, obviously in, re- in relation to something, and that something is often global markets. Um, so you know, anybody can uh, pick up this one. Uh, is there is there better value in international markets than India? Chitan or Alok, do you want to have a stab at it? Neil, I might not have a fundamental answer to that, but I can give you a slight technical answer. Uh, so look, in my opinion, uh, EMs uh, uh, have a very strong correlation while I look at uh, the past data with the dollar and specifically DXY is what I'm talking about. 
so if you look at 8592 so to be fighting is already yes right so if you quote uh, uh, if i can quote you specifics november of 85 to september of 92 right uh, dollar index moved from 129 to 78 right and you saw sensex you saw sensex and other emerging markets uh, rally at that point in time to quote you specifics sensex was up uh, cons- uh, cumulative some 598 percent the same uh, structural uh, thing repeated between jan 2000 to to april 2000 where again the dxy from 120 came down to 70 and you had uh, a 403 uh, 430 cumulative uh, uh, return on the sensex now this is exactly uh, you know what uh, probably uh, and i may be completely wrong but this is just taking reference of what has happened in the past March 20, the DXY was 103. Currently, so it went down to 88, 89. It's back to 92, 93. We've always seen when when the DXY uh, typically falls, right? There is this entire cycle of liquidity that flows in the emerging markets. Uh, happened in 85, 92. Happened in 2002, 2008, and we see something very similar happening since March 20 right now as well. So, uh, you know. Uh, i personally feel that technically looking at it if the dxy you know has to stay low like it currently is uh, we might definitely see some uh, strong momentum over the next 2 3 years on 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 uh, index uh, on uh, probably precious metals and specifically commodities uh, again this is just taking reference of what happened in 85 92 and 2002 2008 it might not have a lot of uh, uh, fundamental reason to it apart from you know dollar uh, a cheaper dollar making it more 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 interesting for uh, foreigners to deploy more money in the emerging markets so technically looking at it if we have to go by what happened in 85 92 or 2002 to 2008 and this seems to be uh, a repetition where we already seen dxy going down and keeps going down I think probably emerging markets will have more flows than 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 uh, than other developed markets. That's that's my technical look at it. Uh, I think we had Radhika Gupta joining. Uh, Radhika, if you could just uh, raise your hand and add you to the panel. In the meantime, uh, if anybody else would like to have a stab at that question, you know, is there more value in international markets? Uh, for example, Deepak, I believe you can one of your Mortgage portfolios, you do have an allocation, ETF allocation to US. Yes, of course. I mean, I think you know uh, all the new tech, tech that seems to be coming out, and a lot of the stuff that's helped uh, even India pass through the pandemic uh, has come from US tech companies and US companies in general. Um, so, if you think about it, I want to own a part of Amazon. I want to own a part of Microsoft, or Google, Facebook, and. Um, uh tesla and uh, shopify and you know these are great companies they're just not listed in india but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't own them and i think having a healthy allocation we have one third of our allocation in one of our portfolios we run them in the pms uh, and also have them in premium it's a, um it's it's basically a one third allocation roughly to the us uh, uh, nasdaq 100 of course you could use any other proxy you can use a s&p 500 you can use a 
um, uh, there are some actively managed funds as well, which uh, uh, give you access. But from an allocation perspective, I think having a uh, uh, US allocation is good simply, simply because they are they they are great companies. It's not uh, because I am saying oh no, we have to have one foot in the US, one foot in India. But I think they're great companies in general. I I also think they're great companies in China, and uh, you know, because um, here and they have a fund which allows you to access. China from here probably one of the few ones or perhaps even the only one that allows you to do that. That would also be part of uh, uh, you know someone's allocation if, if if I were to look at it and say okay if I do want uh, access I, I might want a global uh, kind of access fund. Uh, this is uh, but this this is not really to do with valuations. I think valuations are high everywhere and uh, perhaps valuations are more justifiable for an Amazon. Uh, an Apple, which, you know, I don't know how it does it, but it grows at 30% at that size. Um, or Microsoft, which has done phenomenally well, uh, despite, uh, you know, uh, and now there's a Windows 11 coming, they're going to get phenomenal amount of business uh, going in there as well. So, there is, uh, I think there's reason to own these companies which have demonstrated great earnings growth despite the scale and levels there are. Whereas our top companies, if you look at the tech chart, or if you look at uh, uh, some of the FMCG companies, you know, 15% is fantastic growth, and 10% is okay growth. And 15% is not useful for an emerging economy at all. I think we should have companies growing 50-60%, but, uh, uh, you know, we don't. So, in respect of growth levels of our top companies, I think... A lot of global companies are cheaper, even though at an absolute level you might say they're all expensive. So, yeah, I mean, like, just to end it, I think everybody should deserve a global allocation. I think relative overvaluation is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. India has a lot more scope, uh, perhaps, of growth. Uh, our entire, I think the top, uh, total profits of the public uh, companies in India is just 5 lakh crores. Added up all, all together and 5 lakh crores is not much, no? if you think about it, it's just like less than 100 billion dollars. That's all of India's listed companies uh, making that kind of profit together. So we have scope to grow. Uh, if we were to grow to 30 lakh crores, then this market, uh, and looking forward, would not be that expensive. And I think we will get to that half a trillion dollar profit uh, at at some point in the next 10 years. Uh, just don't know when we need to take more than 10 years, but we will grow there. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next week with a fresh episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at neil.b at livemint.com To give us feedback, you can reach out to us also on HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or suno naye nazariye se. This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.